Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered, a premium independent podcast where we provide a premium fan experience. Hosted by Blaine Pudney, Treg Wilson, and Matt Smith. Our goal is to give you informative, honest hockey discussion and entertainment. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. I'm your host, Blaine Putvang. I'm joined this week by my co-host, Treg Wilson. Hello, everyone. And Matt Smith. Good evening. So, it's the weekend. The NHL is back in play. How excited is everyone? I'm fucking, like, through the roof ecstatic. Like, I swear a lot as it is, and I think I'm swearing more now. Um, there was a lot of fuck yes and a lot of son of a bitch and whatever during the, uh, during the game the other night, I'll tell you that. And, um, the one thing you can be really excited about, this was announced today, Chris Lee will not be calling any of the Canadians games during the regular season. This is one thing you can say fuck yeah about from, you know, all Habs fans can agree on that one. No Chris Lee. He's in the East division. He's, you know, Washington and Buffalo's problem now. Once that was announced, I must have saw at least 500 of those Kermit the Frog waving arm, oh, yeah. ecstatic uh, yeah. gifs on uh, on Twitter. Absolutely. I mean, well, judging by least... the tr- judging by the Toronto game, he called a few friends and said, "Hey." Yeah. <laughs> but, you but here's the thing: at least now, at least now, when we see incompetence in officiating, we know it's not on purpose. It's simply a little bit of rust. As but with Lee you know it's on purpose because no one could be that freaking bad and not do shit like that on purpose. Like the start of the season, you're going to have missed calls. Yeah. There's going to be some missed calls that happen. They're, they didn't get a preseason either. The referees are still working their rust out. Um, they didn't get a chance to ref uh, Toronto practices and scrimmages. So, uh... Well, they didn't get a chance to do anybody's, right? So they – so they're shaking the they're shaking the rest off as well, trying to get into the rhythm, which honestly with with officials it's a real issue. They should have a little bit more help with that, but this year couldn't do it. So at least with them, you know, with the, with the game against uh, between Montreal and Toronto, 
it was just the officials having a little bit of rust. They missed things on both on both sides. You know, there's fine referees on both sides. But they just missed stuff. And got in the way. Yeah. That led to the tying goal. Yeah, I think but he got we'll an official to, assist. We'll get to that. <laughs> I think he got an official assist on that one. Oh, absolutely. I, tweet, I tweeted that on Twitter. The ref <laughs> yeah. literally got an assist on that goal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is what it is. Uh, so, one. yeah. So this week, um, we're going to cover the we're going to cover the Habs first game. We're going to talk about the Montreal-Toronto game. We're going to talk about, uh, as we record, it's Friday night. The show is going to come out Saturday morning. So we're going to preview the Edmonton-Montreal game. That'll be uh, coming out starting on Saturday night. And then the, the next one, I believe, is Monday. Yeah. So the series is Vancouver. Well, uh, then they move to Vancouver, but it's a two-game set against Edmonton. So we'll, we'll, cover, that, uh, we'll cover that series. Um, and then we'll have some, some other stuff at the end. So why don't we just dive right in and talk about the season opener. Uh, how big of a failure was that? I mean, holy crap. You lose blow up the team, fire the coach, fire everybody. Too much? Uh, yeah, no. It's perfect. <laughs> it's the perfect reaction. That is that Twitter. That was the reaction. Twitter clearly, in a nutshell. Clearly spending to the cap does not work. No, it's fire, keep that. fire you, should, you should keep that uh, money just in case something happens. I yeah. thought Montreal had a great game. I thought they had bad puck luck was the was the difference in the game i thought toronto had a terrible game uh if it wasn't for the four penalties in a row um they never would have got it back in the game mind you the weber suzuki penalties i thought were penalties so the five on three was a legit five on three in my opinion i thought the charat penalty was a bit soft considering simmons cross-checked him back and did- oh, they actually, that was actually against kulak I'm pretty sure they. I think they called it cool. I think they called a. I think they called it on Kulak no, initially. No, Sherrod has an extra two it. minutes for cross checking, yeah. and then he got into a fight with Simmons, and they scored on the power play. Yeah, I'll have to look, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, and uh, but when he cross checked him, Simmons cross checked him twice back with the referee standing right there. Then they fought, and the referee's like, "Yeah, only he's getting the penalty." I thought that was kind of. You know. Well, why don't we why don't we start breaking the game down this way? Why don't we talk about the five on five play? We'll get to the special teams and. Five on five, Montreal dominated five on five in that game. In that game, um, uh, Anderson's second goal, he literally made Tavares look like a pylon and a slow pylon at that. Like we're talking Dion Phaneuf type pylon. And, oh yeah, uh, he blew by him for the second goal. Uh, five off before the penalty started happening, I believe Montreal was out shooting them seventeen to nine or something like that. Yeah, and uh, they were just dominating the game at five on five. Um, yeah, that first half of the game, they were up three one. The Canadians were controlling the play. They were they were taking the game to Toronto. They were they were providing that uh, that hard forecheck and using their their speed. They they worked on keeping the pace of the game up, and that kind of kept Toronto flat footed. So that it was working. It was working for the Canadians up to that point. But like you mentioned a little bit earlier, Treg, the team discipline, that's what killed them. I mean, Weber's was an honest mistake, I think. He wasn't intending to throw the puck over the thing. Yeah. Uh, Suzuki, he, he put his hand around the guy. He, he 
he did the reach he did the reach around that's an yeah. automatic penalty whether you're you're doing anything or not the one uh, that bothered me was the anderson penalty that was soft that was a right he just kind of you know you got a big guy leaning on a guy uh, i think it was against vc yes vc's not a small guy he went down real easy and yeah yeah um and that led to a string of penalties in a row, which tired out the PK. And then by the time they get to a five on five, you're pretty much going to tie uh, Edmondson stick breaks. So he has no stick. And before you know it, you're, it's a three, three tie. They score two goals in 80 seconds. So it's a three, three tie. Yeah. I, I mentioned it. I mentioned it on Wednesday night after the game, the difference in that game was, was specialty teams. Mm-hmm. So Montreal's power play did well. They got a couple of goals. Their Toronto's power favorite. play killed it because they always do. They got a couple of goals. So it kind of matches off, right? But that five on three, it was almost a guaranteed goal. If they could have stayed out of a five on three situation, they might've had a chance. If they hadn't gotten the string of penalties, it might, might've had a chance. And the, the three on three overtime, which is a total gimmick, but it's one you have to deal with. You got a, you got a game plan for Toronto has the better setup for that because they weren't playing to tie. They were playing to win. Whereas Julian, he was, he was playing conservative hockey in a a three on three setup. You can't do that. He was, but the, the guys who had the best chances to score were conservative guys like Deneau and uh, guys like that. And my personal opinion, Deneau and a guy like Deneau should not see the ice in three on three hockey. I don't mind him in three-on-three hockey, but he had been so overused. When he had that breakaway, you can tell he had nothing left. His brain shut off. He was so tired because he had been playing so many minutes already. He, he played the most minutes of any forward. So, When you have guys like Suzuki, Kotyenmi, Anderson, Gallagher, Toffoli, Byron, all these fast-skating, good-moving Tatar – you don't need to know out there in overtime. You, you, I'm, I, I'm like you, Blaine. I don't care that he was out there. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. But you're not playing. You already got the point. If you lose, you lose. Now you're playing to win. And and I find when you put guys out like Weber and Deneau and, uh, I don't know, Byron out on a line together, you're not playing to win. You're, you're just playing to keep them from scoring. I right? find that what they do with Deneau – is they'll put them up, they'll match them up against the top guys, like what they normally do during the game. And it's more of a, let's get possession. Let's try to, let's try to wear down this line. Let's get some possession and cycle somebody out and maybe trap these guys in their zone. That's, that's, that's what they seem to do. But like my, my problem with overtime, other than to know, like, I'm not going to blame to know. He was, as you said, he's bag tired. Yeah. It would have been nice if he would have got a shot. That would have been, you know, a little bit better. I'm sure my neighbors heard me yell things that rhyme with trucker and yeah, probably fucker a couple times. But um, the my issue was um, was the uh, the line change that Byron made. That was the thing. Yeah. I was like, what are I was like, what are you doing? And as soon as I saw the two on one, I was just like, fuck. Like, that's, but he was exhausted too. He had been on the ice for far too long, and he had he, been motoring he was, back he, and forth. He, he was, was still the but, best chance to catch up. He was yes. the best chance to catch up to. Yeah. to it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been Gallagher jumping off the bench trying to play catch up. Yeah. Right. But you know what? 
I'm not going to lose my mind over it like no. some people are. It's game one. There's still a lot of hockey left to be played. There's a hell of a lot of positives to bring out of this game. Um, Josh Anderson was a, a fucking wrecking crew out there. He was throwing the body. He was he had seven shots. He scored a couple goals. He was, yes, that, he can move for a big man. That, and, you know, the whole power horse thing that they're calling him now, like <laughs> he, he can move. And uh, we can tell now why Mark Bergemo went out and made this deal. That line is really clicking. That's Suzuki, Druen, yeah. uh um, and we mentioned that on the show. We said if Anderson can fit in with those two, that's going to be one hell of a. That's probably their number. That's probably going to be their top line. But yeah. Drew had three assists. He's a fucking bust. No, wow, total bust. I listen. I'm telling cool. you on Facebook and Twitter, I was putting out who <laughs> I, I always put out during the game after each period. I put out who impressed me and who yeah. needs improvement. Right at the end of the game, I put out, and someone goes, "Oh, well, Drew got to be up there." I'm like. Dude, he had three assists and played very well. He even had corner puck battles that he was battling for the puck. He was positioning himself right. And then they were like, oh, well, he bounced it off the referee. The referee was in the wrong. He did exactly what he was supposed to do in that play. He had two Leafs on him, yep. right? He couldn't go forward. He couldn't yep. throw the puck into the center of the ice. What do you do? You put it in behind the net, hopefully to get it over to the so other side. In that, in that position, he was up against the half wall yep. on his off wing. <clears throat> And he had two def- uh, two four checkers on him, which were on the defensive side of the puck. So the smart play is to go b- uh, put a high pass off the boards around the back of the net for the weak side D to pick up because he's probably going to be the open one because he's on just on the back side of the net trying to cover off the guy in the high slot. And the so D guy was back. there. He yeah. was there on the other side. And he would... Everything was there, and the referee was just in the wrong spot. When I mentioned earlier about officials having some rust, that's part of it, not having the right positioning. Because the normal positioning for an official during that kind of play is not where he was. It's off behind to the other side of the net. He's not in between. He was much too close to that play. So you can't blame Drouin on that. I actually had one person say, well, the smart play was to dip the puck through one of their legs and then go around to the middle of the ice and dump it out. I'm like, I don't know what kind of hockey you're playing, but this is not NHL 2K21. If he would have done that, he would have lost the puck and they would have scored. Then I would have said, Absolutely. What the hell? then I would have been, what the fuck was Drew doing there? Exactly. He played right. that. He, he did that the way you're supposed to do it. Right. All night long, he was, he was engaged. He was in pretty much the right defensive posture. There was a couple of times he was a little bit off, but I mean, come on, what more does the kid have to do? He, he plays a perfect game. He's just okay. He has one, one fluke play happen. It's get rid of him. Well, here's the but issue. Come on. It's, it's because when Druin came over and you can probably like Bergevin for a little bit of this hype, he was hyped to be their number one center that was going to give him seven to 80 points. Yeah. And he, he can give you 70, 80 points. He can. Uh, he was on pace for that last year before he got injured. Seventy. He's on points. pace for 168 points right, right now. But last year he was on pace for 72 points if he didn't get injured. Yeah. Right. That's before his injury, not after he came back and early and played like shit. But he got seven points in 10 games in the playoffs. And he got seven points in 10 games in the playoffs, led the team scoring with tie with Suzuki. 
comes back. He's the last two seasons in the offseason has been working hard to work on his two way game and work on a complete game. And people are still shitting on him because they expect him to get two to three points a game, every game. And but he did. French but he did. Star. And they're still shitting on him. And they, he got they, three points and he's still getting shit on. I still seen on Facebook today about the Dubois trade, Trey Druin, because he's a bum. Yeah. Dude, he's leading the team in scoring. He's led the team in scoring in playoffs and was leading the team in scoring before he got hurt. What more does he got to do? Look, the, the thing with Drouin, he is not the centerpiece star player. And that's the knock on him because they expected that. He is not that. But on a line with Suzuki, who is looking, they're, they're calling him Bergeron 2.0. And Anderson, the power horse, he put him on that line. He doesn't need to be. He, does, he doesn't need to be. No. All he needs to do is make sure that he is playing kind of okay defensively and he sets these two guys up for success offensively. He's, he's doing it. Him, he's just going to be in so, the right spot. So far, he's done it. The, uh, the pass that he made to Anderson for his first goal was yeah. phenomenal. It was a one-touch, tape-to-tape pass after a one-touch pass from Petrie, which was a slap pass. It was a set play. He went down low. Petrie gave him a slap pass from the blue line down low to the bottom of the face-off circle. One tap up to the top of the face-off circle right on Anderson's tape. That takes skill. And Anderson put it off the post and in. Yeah. He that was sitting in that. He was sitting in the USA team Cole Caulfield spot. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> problem is he's twice Cole Caulfield's size, so he can handle that spot. Um, but, but yeah, uh, that, that line is a hundred percent right now. Their top line. The, the Dano line is still their top matchup line, but they had a tough time against Matthews and his speed. So I'm going to assume they're going to have, they're going to have some problems again with McDavid because McDavid Let's be honest. Best skater in the NHL. The, yes. He, de- he defies physics. Best skater in the NHL, but at the same time, he gets the, I don't want to throw it out there. That I don't want to, I don't want to sound like an asshole for saying this, but he gets the superstar treatment. A lot of guys don't engage him. Yeah. They, they allow him to do this. They allow him to skate. Like, you see the goal that he scored last night? Yeah, it was a hell of a goal. Look at the space he had. But look at the space he had because everybody, nobody engaged him. Nobody went towards him. He had a stick go out against him. But is that superstar treatment or is that because no one could keep up with him? The guys were there with him. They just, everyone, everyone flanked back. To right? try and keep up. They're, re, they're over-respecting his speed. We'll get to, yeah. we'll get to yeah. that in the next segment. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk absolutely. about the Oilers, but absolutely. Uh, um, Romanov, what do you think? Oh, 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 oh. Romanov played like Gosh. he was a five-year veteran. Played like he was a five-year. I mean, I watched him play, and I was just like sploosh. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, the way he played that blue line uh, when Mitch Marner was on him was like he just danced on the blue line. Like a couple times, I thought, I think that was offside. No, nope. he was just boop boop, full confidence that he could do what he needed to do couple mistakes here or there, which you're going to get yeah. with any veteran or rookie. But you know what? Know who it reminded me of? Andre Markov. He reminds me of Andre Markov. I'm you know, uh, Julian had the best uh, – he gave a quote about, uh, about the play you just mentioned. He said that, yes, Romanov has the confidence to make a play like that. 
Yeah. But he has the inexperience to try and make a play like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked for him. He did it. It worked, really it worked out that time. Anything, there really wasn't anything that was glaring, though, that no. said, you know, maybe this guy needs to sit down a little bit. Yeah. There was, it was, it was, for the most part, it was, let's see this guy again. Give him another yeah. shift. Let's see him on the power play. Let's see him on the penalty kill. Let's see him. And, um, you know what a way to get your first uh, first point of your career with a pass like that to uh, and that, that was the second time he made a, a pass like that. He yeah. he launched uh, Deno free, yeah. and, it, and it's tape to tape passes. It's not yeah. it's not their feet. Apart. It's not the whatever. It's right on their stick and off yeah. they go. But rem- In but stride, this was, this was supposed to, to be an, a defensive guy, right? We weren't supposed to see any offensive flair. We weren't supposed to see. We were supposed to see a stay-at-home, Emlyn-like, more mobile defender. I've always said he's Emlyn with more offense. Right. Well, he did do quite a few plays where it was off the glass and out, off the glass and out. He made a lot of safe plays, but when he had a little bit of time and space, he was making those more uh, impressive offensive style plays. So as the confidence grows, we're going to see a little bit more of that. I think um, so too. He did make one glaring error. He gave up the puck at his own blue line and got and gave up a, an odd man rush. But he motored back. He was back in position, even though there was kind of a broken play when uh, the puck went through Price's legs when he was out of position, back to Simmons, and Simmons missed his chance. But Romanov was there. He he had gotten back into position. Things like that, he's going to work on. He didn't make that that mistake again. He was in the same situation in the third period, and instead of trying to uh, trying to walk the line and then make a pass the opposite way, he just dumped it in. Just made the safer play. So and, and that, it, no, yeah. It, it, so things like that are what's going to keep him playing because Julian's going to trust that he sees his mistakes and corrects them immediately. And, and that's where his IQ comes in. He, yeah. he, he's very smart. Like he, he's very, uh, and the, the, the time in the KHL is helping him because he's played with, uh, we'll say veteran hockey players, just like played with, uh, and uh, people underestimate. I, th- I think they underestimated Romanoff coming over. Like everyone was saying how good he was. Even we questioned, hey, Bergeron, Julian, pump the brakes here, pump the yeah. brakes. But they've been in the game long enough. They know enough that, uh, you know, and he showed in the first game. Mind you, it's only one game. It's only one game. Same with Anderson. It's only one game. But there's nothing in his game that would show that he's going to go downhill from here. Uh, he's going to make mistakes. He's going to have bad games. Uh, but so does Shea Weber. So does Jeff Petrie. Uh, so does everybody else. So you Weber launched that puck over the glass to make a five on three. That's a mistake. Which, which led to the tying goal. Yes. You know, Petrie, how often do we see Petrie make a magnificent play and then come right back and he's Ray Bork one shift and Phil Bork the next. So, uh, you know. He's a Charlie Lindgren of defensemen. Oh. Just happens to be on the ice when people score. (laughs) The taxi squad winner, Charlie Lindgren. Oh, Oh, I meant like he makes a wonderful, wonderful play. And then he's like. I don't remember Charlie Lindgren ever doing that. Lindgren will make (laughs) one big save. And then make one save that he, you know, and then just completely fucking mess it. I think Lindgren gets sprawls out as he can and the puck hits him and he's like, oh, what a save. 
and then uh, he has no idea where the puck goes after he saves it. So. <laughs> Sorry, but so before we move on, um, who impressed you the most, and um, who do you think needs improved after the first game? Who are you asking? Uh, go with you first. Uh, Romanoff. Romanoff impressed me the most only because I was kind of already expecting Anderson to have a big, not a big game, but expect him to play well. And I wasn't sure I've seen minimal Romanoff games. I think I only seen three KHL games plus the world juniors. So uh, uh, he impressed me most who didn't impress me. Uh, Edmondson didn't really impress me. I think he had a rough game and uh, Jake Evans didn't impress me at all. Blaine? Well, uh, I'll go with who didn't impress me first. I'm going to have to agree with those two choices that Treg made. They they really had a difficult time. I think it's more of a, an adjustment period in Edmondson's case. And with Evans, some nerves came into play, you know, his first real game there and all that, blah, blah, blah. And he's up against the Leafs and he's having a hard time keeping up with that speed. So I think I think that had something to do with it. Um, but I'm going to go a little bit off the board and I'm going to say Deno because I expected more out of him. So the bar is set a lot higher for him in my view. And he missed a lot of scoring opportunities. He really did. He had chances in the first, second, and in overtime. So he, if he pots any one of them, they win the game. But he, he kind of fumbled um, for different reasons in each case. But it's his defensive play against Matthews. He had a really, really hard time matching up on Matthews, mostly, I think, with the speed. And I think that has, again, something to do with an adjustment period. They didn't have any preseason games. So I think that has a lot to do with how he wasn't quite up to speed. I think once we're at about four games into the season, we're going to see Deno at the exact level that we saw him last year and probably a little bit better. Um, who impressed me, though, eh, it's a tough one. There were so many, so many little things that uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the players done, had done. I mean, we've been pumping Anderson's tires. Uh, we, pumped, uh, we pumped Romanov's tires. I think um, I'm going to go off the board again on this. And, I mean... We talked about Suzuki, so I'm going to say Toffoli because he he didn't make any any mistakes. He was in position. He he generated chances. Him and Kotniemi have built a little bit of a chemistry, and they're catching each other in the offensive zone now. There's a couple of um, there's a couple of times where Toffoli got in on the forecheck and was able to just do a quick out to the high slot where Kotniemi was it created a, an actual shot on net at one point. Kotniemi got a shot on another time. It was just a deflected pass, but they're starting to catch each other on the ice. So that third line with Toffoli and Kotniemi, uh, I think is going to turn into something really good. Um, but Armia looked like garbage on that line. Yes. Uh, I was just going to say Armia didn't impress me at all on that line. No, I think exactly. he dragged the line down actually. He did. He did. And, and I don't know if it's that he doesn't fit with that line anymore or if again just the first game kind of thing right he's just shaking it out so we'll, uh, the, he's not going to change uh, julian's not going to change any lines 
come the next game. So he may flop Armia and Toffoli from left to right because they both practiced during the preseason. Yeah, or the, they they both played either side. So, well, during that game, you saw after the faceoff, it was just a free for all. Yeah, between those yeah, two, they, they were swapping they, it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, as the game went on, Romanov uh, moved up on with Petrie some in the third period. Yeah, uh, Dano double shifted on the four, on the fourth line as to well take over for Evans. Take over for Evans. So yeah, uh, Julian realized Edmondson and Evans were kind of struggling, and made adjustments within the game. And I think uh, I know uh, uh, Brian Wild thinks Romanov will be on the top line by Monday. Uh, I can't argue with that. I, I can't either. And I can't, I wouldn't be surprised he's there tomorrow, but I don't think he will be. I think he'll keep the, um, and, but you may see him up with Petrie as soon as, at least with Petrie, I think by Monday. See, I think what's going to end up happening with Romanov is he's going to be bouncing around between pairings. He's going to yeah. eat up a ton of minutes, but it's going to be on all three pairings. Yeah. So what about you, Matt? I'll do mine really quick. I'll go with uh, Power Horse Josh Anderson for my uh, for my uh, most impressed. Uh, seven shots, three hits, two goals. He came to play. He's he wanted to prove the uh, the naysayers wrong. Um, that questioned the contract that he signed and the length of it. Um, I think he had an incredible game, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can bring to the team uh, long term. And then um, for my needs improvement. Um, I'll pick one player, but I'm going to kind of put two players in the same thing. Um, Jake Evans for me as well. Um, it looks like nerves got the best of them. And, um, it seemed that the Leafs saw that. And I know that they had last change. They had this, they had that, but it seemed that, um, anytime Evans was on the ice, they were trying to match up either the Matthews line or the, um, Tavares line against them. And, you know, you've got a guy that's playing with nerves already, you know, having to play in those situations isn't going to help. Um, and it showed that he was only 14, he only played uh, just under nine minutes. It was 14% in the faceoffs. And the other player I want to throw in, I'm not going to say he had a terrible game. He just wasn't as noticeable as I would have wanted him to be. And, and that was Kakaniemi. I liked his physicality and I liked how he was moving the puck. However, I'd like to see him shoot a little bit more and another guy that's got to work on his face off. He's 11% in face offs. And when you're, you know, your third line center, that's the guy that you want. You know, you, you, they're a possession team and it starts with being able to have the puck. If you're chasing the puck down, even though, yeah, you've got size or me has got size, you know, you don't want to be chasing the puck. You want to be starting with possession. And that's been Canadians. That was a Canadians problem for a long time. And now all of a sudden, you're, you know, um, Suzuki's getting better in the faceoff. Deneau's very good on the faceoffs. Um, if he could maybe tutor these guys a little bit, work on it a little bit. And if we can, if we can get a guy that's, Jesus, you know, 45, 50%, that'd be fantastic. It well, definitely, it definitely beats 14 and 11% after game one. Yeah. So Deno today at practice, so it's Friday, um, the 15th of January. So today at practice, Deno was working after practice with Kotniemi, Suzuki, and Evans. They were going over face-offs. So he was showing them his techniques 
and his tricks in the face-off circle. So hopefully they do pick up a little bit because Kotniemi last year finished around 45%. If he can pick up that 5% more and just be a 50-50 draw, man, that'd be way better. Absolutely. Uh, Suzuki is already at about 52-53, and Deno's around 55. So you start getting closer to the 50s on everybody, and this team looks way better. Like their power play looked 100 times better. They controlled the play. They controlled the puck. They created chances, and it started in the face-off circle. They ended up winning most of their face-offs on the power play. They also gave different looks in the power play, too. Yep. It wasn't just back to Weber for the one time or back to Weber for the one time or they, they different facets, different looks. So you really didn't know where the shot was going to be coming from or what the play was going to be, which is what they needed to do. Their, their last year's power play just got way too predictable. Yeah. And you know, they, they didn't change it. I mean, they're still doing that drop pass thing. I don't know why they do that, but uh, yeah, they did it uh, twice though. They didn't do it every they single didn't do time. It every single time. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, which that I and, hate. I bring hate back the, the drop passes. Bring I don't back understand. The, you're already the by the chase. defender. Why are you dropping it back so you have to get by that defender again? So now you're standing still. Yeah. But bring, yeah. Back, bring back the dump and chase. Uh, that could work with uh, with the uh, the with the second players wave. they have now. They actually yeah. do it. <laughs> with yeah, the second wave, it could work. I'm not, it, a fan. I'm not a fan of the dump and chase, by the way. So. We're gonna we're gonna move on to the uh, the, the next segment. We're gonna, just gonna shave this one off and move on to the next segment. But before we do, I'd like to mention support for Habs Unfiltered is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Big news: Manscaped just released their new cologne scent to help you feel good and smell good all over and at all times. Who knew smelling this good can feel this good too? Everyone knows Manscaped has a perfect package 3.0 for all your below-the-waist grooming needs, but they didn't stop there. Oh, no. Complete your grooming game with the new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped, who, by the way, are now partnered with the Montreal Canadiens. But we were here first. So vicariously, we are the podcast of Montreal Canadiens through Manscaped. Exactly. So with the signature scent that's in all Manscaped formulas, this cologne is a perfect complement to the collection. Light, approachable, and gentlemanly in all the right ways. Think of it as your wingman for the night to keep you fresh and ready for anything. Calming and inviting, this signature scent introduces a light citrus burst before settling onto the anchoring notes, a vetiver, and a woodsy masculine finish. And now you can use the new Manscaped refined cologne to complete your set and smell great anytime, anywhere. It's time to feel sexy. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. I'll repeat, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code UNFILTERED20. Look good, smell good, feel good with Manscaped. Proud partner of Habs Unfiltered and the Montreal Canadiens. Does anyone know the score of the Toronto game right now? I think it's four. Uh, I think it's four two for Ottawa. Correct. Seriously? Pretty sure it's four two for Ottawa. Yeah. No. End of the second. Was how many cross checks in front of the net did Ottawa give to make that lead happen? Because you know that's terrible. 
I Don't said do that. no one's going to defeat the the Kachuk North line. <laughs> Roundhouse kicks. <laughs> How many goals does Galchenyuk have? Oh, he's not dressed. Not dressed. As no, many as Peter Sherbeck has. Before we move on to the, to the next game for the Canadians, I want to bring up the whole Matthews getting cross-checked and people bitching and moaning. If, if anyone hasn't seen this, TSN Hockey put out an actual article yes. where Matthews' agent complained that there, he didn't like seeing his client getting cross-checked in front of the net. And they should really stop that. And Matthews was interviewed soon after and kind of agreed. But um, I, I suggest an alternative. This is a solution to that problem. We need to create a trapezoid in front of the net. We'll call it the safe space. And he can go into that area as a millennial because he has the, the past. As a millennial, you could go in there. You can't go in there if you're not a millennial. So uh, Weber's not allowed in. He's he's too old. So he can't go touch him. So once you're in the safe space, no one could touch you. So you're allowed to do what you're allowed to shoot and do whatever you want from in there. Generate a lot of offense doing that. And then you won't get all those clutching and grabbing and hooking and you won't get touched. No touching. Wait a minute. Didn't Matthews break his stick on Sherratt's chest? Well, that doesn't count. That was that was Matthews doing it on somebody else. Didn't he go knee to try to go knee to knee on Anderson? That doesn't count. That's him doing it to somebody else. Didn't Tavares cross check uh, somebody in the back there in front of the front of the net? That doesn't count. That's a Leaf doing it to somebody else. Didn't Chara take to try to take Gallagher's head off? And get no penalty for it. That's, that was Gallagher. He probably Gallagher. deserved. He deserved. Yeah. <laughs> Gallagher got cross-checked and broke his jaw in the playoffs. If he was taller, it would have been a penalty. If he was taller, it was okay. You know, and you know, it's not like Simmons was cross-checking Schrott in front of the net. But that again, that's a leaf, so it doesn't count. I and think... I say this as a T as TSN. I'm pretending I'm TSN. And that's my argument. The Leafs so my, do it, it's okay. So my take on this whole thing, and I'm going to be very brief about it, it's it's um, they can't keep dictating rules of the game because of one fucking player. And for the first game of the year during COVID times in these built up divisions that we're all excited for, especially in the Canadian division for them to come out with an article that says, Oh my God, I don't like getting touched in front of the net. It's either you fucking, you you man up and you play the game or you sit on the fucking bench because the NHL is not going to come out and change the rules just because you bitched about it. Right. So wipe the tears off your eyes Grip your fucking stick a little harder and play the game. And but if that you don't whole, like it, as I said, sit in the fucking press box and somebody else will have to take those minutes. But that whole give and take that Treg and I were doing as a tongue-in-cheek thing, it, that kind of points to 
the complete and utter bias shown in that article. Oh, 100%. Where, where was the anger in that article about cross-checking, about all the other cross-checking? You want to say, take call all the cross-checking, fine. Yeah. Take that position. It's a penalty. Yeah. Call it. Yeah. But yeah. don't Give ignore. A, yeah. All the other ones across the league of all the other teams. Here's the problem with that. You are going to have 300 minutes and penalties every game. The game's going to be three and a half hours long. Yeah. It's mostly going to be three on three. Well, look at it. Look at it this way. Look at, look at the amount of stick infractions there are now since Crosby took off. Um, what the fuck's his name? Uh, played for Ottawa. Took off. Pretty much took his hand off. Yeah. With a tap on the st- uh, when he when he hit him when he hit him in the in the hand and his he finger got, exploded. And got nothing for it, by the way, because Borievsky yeah. was it? No, no, no. It was. Um, I, I, I don't. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. But, Continue. Uh, I'll look it up. The thing is, is is you have a and I'm gonna um, go a little bit on a different path here. Is you have superstars in the league. Crosby, McDavid, Matthew, well, say Matthews, uh, just to name a few, who want to feel like now McDavid hasn't said anything. Crosby, we all know, is a little bit of a whiner. It was Mark Mathot. There you go. Mark Oh, okay. So they want to be treated different because they're superstars and they feel like they shouldn't be touched or they shouldn't be. It's like the old uh, Gretzky days, right? You know, not saying Gretzky went out and whined about it, but, you know, they called penalties on players that brushed by Gretzky. They got a penalty. Yeah, but they... It's not like that these days. It's not like that. The superstar rule should be, you don't take liberties. You don't hit them from behind. You're not throwing... But even Gretzky took some cross checks in front of the net. He did. But the point I'm making is you don't have that nowadays. Nowadays, yeah, you're a superstar. We don't care. If, if, if the cross check has nothing to do with the play, if you're mush pushing the guy out, you're, you're hitting him hard, you're pushing him out, but you're not really, uh, you know, injuring the guy or not hitting him in the head, or you're not really doing anything like that. The ref's not going to call it. They're not going to call it's a, it's, play it's dead. A, it's a hockey play. They're not going to call a play right. dead every time someone does, you know, if it's obvious or if it, if it, if it, takes away a scoring chance or if it takes away a, a, a play out of the zone or into the zone, they're going to call it. But I, I think people are blown this way out of proportion. I think, uh, well, you, we know why they're doing it. It's TSN and they're biased as shit. They're getting, and they're getting more biased every year, especially now that Toronto has a fairly good team. And uh, yeah. like when Toronto was a shit team, TSN, was still biased, but not as what they are now. They're basically carrying water for the Toronto organization by trying to kind of pepper the officials before any game happens, saying, hey, keep an eye on this stuff. It, it's not helping us. So, like, what the hell, man? Yeah. They said it's the first game of the year, too. Right. Like, just... just yeah. You got nine more of this yeah. shit. Guess yeah. what's going to happen by the end of this season? when the Canadians and the Leafs have three games back to back to back to finish the season. Toronto's going to be beat to shit and they won't have half their players in the lineup. So they're going to keep getting beat to shit because Shea Weber's still going to be there beating the shit out of people. So is Sherratt. So is Edmondson. So is Romanov. Anderson. And, and it doesn't matter what the coach says. Uh, Weber's not coming out to be rested. 
because what did uh, what did Berger, Bergevin say about that? Oh. If you want him to take if you want him to take a rest, make sure you go tell him wear a helmet and a mouth guard. So, poor Tony. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we'll uh, we'll move on to the uh, to preview the next game. So the Canadians are going to play the Oilers in a two game set in Edmonton. They're already there. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you, Matt, to kind of set it off, set the scene for us. What do you paint us a picture, Matt? Well, it's going to be another one of those um, games. Don't take penalties. Um, Edmonton's a very very good power play team. You've got McDavid, you got Drysdale what the game's going to come down to. If you can shut down that line and you can be hard on um, Ethan Bear, I think it's Ethan Bear and Darnell Nurse that are the pairing, that are their top pairing. If you're hard in the four check on them and you can contain one of those lines and not take penalties, you're going to be fine. You're also going to be going against Miko Koskinen, most likely, who's going to be playing his, um, his third game of the season already. Um, because uh, Mike Smith's apparently injured, and apparently it's a long-term thing, even though they haven't come out and said exactly what it is. They have made a, a few um, changes to their lineup already, so uh, we're not going to see Mike Smith. We might see a, a goalie in Koskinen that might be a little bit tired, so maybe that could be something that could be to their advantage. And, um, you know, the Canadians just need to play the game that they played against um, – uh, against Toronto. However, um, Edmonton does have some big guys on their team that will throw the body, that will drop the gloves, that you don't really want to drop the gloves with, being a guy like Cassian or Darnell Nurse. And they also have uh, Jujarkara as well, and he's a pretty big boy that can that can throw the body as well. Um, as Lots long of as cross they checks in front of the net there. Exactly. Is as long as they as long as they stick to their plan and they stay disciplined, and um, they're careful with their matchups, they should be fine. Uh, this series is going to be a hard one for Edmonton, only because uh, by the time they're done this two game set, it'll be five games in uh, six nights, or five games and yeah, something like that. Uh, they played Wednesday, Thursday, off Friday, Saturday, Monday. So that's what one, two, three, four, five, ga- it's five games. And th- yeah. Five seven games, nights. seven nights, five games yeah. and seven nights. So that, that is a tough, that's a tough schedule to start off with. That's for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, for, for them, that's going to, they're going to be tired and Montreal got to use their speed. And like Matt said, get the four check in there and, uh, you always have McDavid and, and Dreisaitl. They're playing on two separate lines, but they don't really have too much with them to play with. Um, well, you look just for uh, instance. I'm just going to bring up. I'm just going to bring up the uh, the first two games that they played so far. Um, Dreisaitl is averaging twenty one thirty. McDavid's twenty four oh one. And Nugent Hopkins is twenty three twenty two. The next highest, the next highest forward is I. I, I, I everyone's pretty much the same, like fourteen minutes, you know, thirteen minutes, etc. Because they put so much, not say pressure, but they put so much um, 
onus on on those on those players. You just got to shut them down and not not take penalties. So you'll be fine. I mean, and you're probably going to see the backup, whoever the backup's going to be for Kyle. I can't see Boston playing all five games. Um, I think you probably will. You probably might even see Jake Allen in one of those games as well for Montreal. Yeah. It could uh, happen, yeah. Definitely yeah, yeah. play in the Vancouver, the three sets of Vancouver because you have a back-to-back on the 20th and 21st. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see him in the third game of the season against Edmonton as well. Um, but uh, these are the COVID times. These are the way it's going to be. Like Montreal is going to have nights where they're going to play five games and six nights or six games and eight nights or whatever it is. And you got to be prepared for it. Um the bonus Montreal has is they have better goaltending, better defense, and if they can contain Dreisaitl and or McDavid, they'll win the game. Yep. So, so the key the to box. doing that, the key to shutting down those top two lines, because you're right, Matt, those two lines are basically double shifting them the entire game to the point of you barely ever see the third or fourth line. But uh, you're going to need all five skaters on the ice to shut down those lines. So you're going to have to try your best to match up Sherratt and Weber against the McDavid line. And you're going to have, or, well, or, or the dry side line, I think would fit best with those two. And then with, uh, you want Petrie up against the McDavid line. But I don't think Edmondson is the, Edmondson is the right guy to have in that pairing for that matchup. Kulak. So I, I would not be surprised to see a shift where they move Kulak up to his pair, uh, to that pairing. So that, if there's a change in the lineup, I wouldn't be surprised to see Kulak with Petrie because he, he has the foot speed to keep up with that line. And you basically almost got to play a trap against those, that line. You almost got to yeah. almost force them to dump and chase because if you just yeah. let them skate free, especially McDavid, he's just going to blow right by you and Price is going to have to – work its magic pray to god yeah um so they're basically gonna have to and and it'll be hard for them hopefully if montreal can get a lead early then they can can play the trap but montreal's a terrible team when it comes with leads uh they've been like that for years i was they were like that in toronto Um, yeah but that had to do with giving up power plays they gave up power plays to the probably one of the uh, what was that the fourth best power play in the nhl last year so they got to avoid that because I think Edmonton was the first. I think That's, so. And yeah. Edmonton's and, power play was spot on against this, in the second game against the Canucks. And then went out and got fourth forward uh, Tyson Berry. So. Yeah. yeah. But, and uh, we, oddly he's fitting in there. And he would fit in there. Like he, it, it's their, the type of system he can fit yeah. into. It's a purely offensive system. But if they keep this game at five on five, Edmonton is not a good five-on-five team. Edmonton, like Toronto, relies heavily on their power play. They they count on it for their goals. So it's it's on the it's on the Canadians to stay disciplined. If you give up four straight power plays like they did against Toronto, you're going to lose the game. Even if Edmonton is tired, and I would not be surprised if they would be because after that series against Vancouver playing upwards of 25 minutes a game as a forward, their top two lines are doing 25 minutes as forwards. That's, that's ridiculous amounts of ice time. They, uh, yeah, Montreal's, uh, 
Now, do we start panicking if Montreal loses to the second game to Edmonton? No. No. When do we start panicking? This is this will be the question. If they if come back from this road trip and they don't have at least a 500 record, panic. Yeah. I, I say they have to go – they have to win three out of the five games in order to uh, – If they don't have not. a 500 record, like a 2-2-1, two, two and one, if yeah. they, uh, that's the, the bare minimum to say, okay, we survived. If they don't come back with that, then I would be in a panic. Yeah, because uh, with fifty-six games, yeah, a three-to-five game losing streak can probably almost ruin your entire year, no matter what time of year it happens. Yeah, and they get a, and the the big thing this year is to win in regulation. Yes, All right. As soon as you're giving points to people in your division, and that's all it's going to be this year. Yeah, you're just you know if, if it's it's going to be a close season. Yeah, every game is a four-point game. True. Yeah. yeah. But uh, this this game coming up against Edmonton, it should be fun to watch. Um, it's McDavid. But, I'm going to um, miss it, unfortunately. You're working? Yeah. Working? Yeah. Take your iPad. You'll have time to watch it. Oh, yeah. Just get that neck pillow so when you get into your chair at work, you just <laughs> – ah. Get one of your get one of your killicks or whatever you guys call them there, corporals, corporal to give you your coffee and sip it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right. So, what do you? We'll do a prediction. They got a two a two game set against Edmonton. What do you guys think is going to happen? Do you think the Canadians are going to pull off a win, two wins, no wins? Matt, what do you think? I'm going to go two wins. I think that um, guys are going to step up in the locker room and and they're going to say, you know, we let one slip. Let's not do it again and let's come out and show what this team can do. And I, I expect a, a good performance out of them. I won't say, you know, uh, score predictions or anything like that, but I'm I'm thinking uh, I'm thinking two wins. Uh, I agree with Matt. I think they get two wins, and I think they get four wins out of the. Uh entire uh west coast trip see okay so out of the five games on the west coast mm-hmm. you think I they're going to end up with four wins out of the five yeah okay well i'm not going to jump towards the vancouver stuff just uh, for my prediction i'm going to stick to the edmonton um i think they're going to come out with at least three points i can see another overtime loss here Simply because McDavid is so fast, I can see a couple of guys taking penalties trying to slow him down. And then the team gets bit for it. But comes back right away after one of those, and they pot a couple of goals. I'm, gonna, I'm also going to take a step forward and say that we're going to finally see that caught in the Emmy line with some magic in that next game. I, I can... I can see a goal coming out of that line in this next game. It's all up to Armia or whoever they're going to have playing with them. Um, I'm assuming it's going to be Armia. Yeah. I think he dragged, like I, I, Matt said, he was unimpressed with Cotton Yemi. I think it was more Armia dragging that line down and yeah. Cotton Yemi and Toffoli not being able to be where they need to be and do well, what this they is the, This is the thing. Maybe you maybe you put Lekkonen on that line. Yeah. Because then you can put Toffoli on the right. Yeah. And then move Armia down on the right side, 
and Bayern can play on the left like he's nor like he can. Or you no, move Lekkinen can play on the right too. Yeah. Or you move Bayern up. Doesn't really matter. Right. Yeah. But uh, it's almost like in the power play, I found uh, Tatar. Uh, I tweeted about it at the first of the game. I found Tatar killed the power play a couple times because they they got a pass over to him and he either just didn't get a clean, you know, didn't take it clean or he just missed the yeah. missed the shot or he did whatever. He got better as the game went on, but I found that was with Armia. He just wasn't at the same step as Toffoli and Kontiemi was, and you found a lot of the times the two of them went into the zone pretty much on their own and they're like, Oh, well he's covered. I'm covered. And then they're like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to dump it or shoot it. And the play kind of, they had a couple good plays. You mentioned the one with the Foley with the shot and Cotton Yemi had a shot there and a good pass from the Foley. And, uh, but I found Armia dragged that line down. Like, uh, I think uh, there was some chemistry between the Foley and Cotton Yemi and Armia kind of threw a wrench in kind of the whole plans there, but it's one game. So you know, we all know what Armia is capable of, so it's it's one game. All right, I think uh, I think we're all set there for the next game. We're we're all excited to watch it if we can. Some of us pretend we're working. It's, it's, my, gov- day, it's my, day gov- it's my day one. It's my day one. I'm definitely gonna be working. You you've got a government job, Matt. Yeah. No one works in a government job. I'm Especially an Air Force one. Essential per- essential personnel. Essential. That's right. We're bringing in the COVID vaccines, man. No, we're not yet. We're not yet. <laughs> we're the aircraft are ready. Only yeah. because of you, Matt. You're yeah. a hero. Yeah. We're gonna spread them by chemtrail. <laughs> Mandatory vaccinations here. Yeah. 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 We're not. Uh, we're not doing. We, we're not doing that yet. But we. Uh, yeah. We're ready if need. We're ready if needed. They're going to set an anti, anti-vax, anti-mask organization in a big field, and the plane's just going to fly over, dropping the vaccine all over the <laughs> My question is, how do you get the microchips in if you're just chemtrailing it? Up your nose. You inhale it. Like, how small are these things? I mean, that's... It's, it's microscopic, man. Because there's one for Amazon. There's one for Microsoft. Yeah. There's more than one in there. There's a Google. There's a Google one, isn't there? Like, and so... Every time you breathe, Google's going to say, you just breathe five times. Do you need a breath mint? So before before we get into too many conspiracy <laughs> theories, um, do we want to talk really quickly on the latest on Dubois? Speaking of conspiracy theories. <laughs> Good segue, Matt. Kind of a, kind of a segue. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's talk about Dubois and... How Blogger wrote an article about this. Hey, <laughs> leave Eric Engels alone. <laughs> Before we get into this, um, for all our listeners, you guys know that um, I usually put up a poll every now and then. Sure do. <laughs> On our OnlyFans page, you're the yeah. poll guy. Um, so, the, so, so the latest, the latest one read like this. If the Montreal Canadiens are indeed interested in Pierre-Luc Dubois, would you be willing to trade Esperi Kakaniemi? And after 1,122 votes, 52% said no, which to me, that was very close. I did not expect the vote to be that close. I think they're looking at the alternative of Suzuki. I think some, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm purely guessing here. 
but I would think they they took it as a question as would you take Cockney over Suzuki, even though that's not the question. You maybe, have. maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, I personally wouldn't have an issue with it. I don't think they need to trade for Dubois. I don't think they need to give up Suzuki or Cotton Enemy. Cotton, whatever his name is. I used to say it right. Uh, um, hey, I haven't messed up a name in a long time, okay? No, it's uh, only been like five minutes. So, okay, so I second game of the year. It's all- <laughs> um, so, but I don't think I'd be too upset if they traded him for Dubois depending on what else went with him. I personally don't think Dubois is worth as much as everyone's saying he's worth either. Personally, I don't. Yeah, some of these, some of these trades that are coming through um, on Twitter, like Cockney, Drew and, you know, Norlander and, well, you know, it's, it's plus, 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 plus for Dubois. And like, I like Dubois. I would, I would welcome him on the team if the deal was right. But you can't over-evaluate the player at the same time. You look time. at his stats, he's not much better than Suzuki. So that's why I think the Suzuki for him is kind of a silly trade. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Suzuki's going to go anywhere. Because uh, his, Suzuki has a better face-off percentage. Suzuki has a better Corsi. Uh, Suzuki's better five-on-five. Five. Uh, they're both great 200-foot centers. Um, and Suzuki's two years younger. So he's almost matching what uh, Dubois doing now two years younger and uh, to me everyone's saying Suzuki plus and I'm like why would you know if you're going to make that trade it's one for one all you really did was just swap a bigger guy for a smaller guy to do the exact same role yes. Suzuki I think has more offensive uh, um, he's more uh, has offensive future like I think he's going to be a better offensive player but uh yeah, and I think it's just a silly. I can understand why Columbus is asking for Suzuki because they're losing a twenty young twenty two year old one C center. They want a one C center back, but I just I don't I can't see Bridgman pulling the trigger if, if that's what the ask is. I don't think Kakinemi would be a good trade depending on what's in with it. Like Montreal has to give up salary. I mean, Blaine, I'll let you in a second. Let you get into how that can be fixed. They'd have to give up salary, and if I'm looking at it in Montreal's eyes, like I know everyone wants them to trade all their garbage for Dubois, thinking oh, if we trade Byron, Mete, and Drouin, we can get Dubois. No, 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 you're not. Uh, and I don't know why everyone wants to trade Drouin, but we already talked about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I'll just jump in. I'll just jump in like super quick before I, I pass it on to Blaine, and I know he's going to probably touch on this anyway. Um, but trading trading within the division is going to be really difficult. Or not trading within division. Trading outside your division is going to be very, very, very difficult this year um, with the protocols and crossing the border and all that kind of shit. And um, the deal has to be like we can't not make this fucking deal for them to make a deal because when as soon as they make it with the very condensed schedule that we're seeing both teams are going to now be without said players until those quarantine um, uh, parameters are met, negative tests, et cetera. Then you're putting the guy in the lineup practices, et cetera, and building that chemistry as opposed to pre COVID times where it's like, and you're in the lineup. So, so Blaine. 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm with you guys on not trading Suzuki for Dubois. Suzuki right now is about as productive and his potential production in the next couple of years is probably going to be higher. So if he meets his potential, he'll probably be scoring a few more points than Dubois would. So why would you give up a more productive center? It doesn't make sense to me. Cap-wise, it makes no sense because Suzuki for the next two years is on an entry-level deal. He's about as productive, and he's doing it for $4 million less. And in two years, he is still an RFA looking for his first bridge deal. Whereas Dubois, who's making $5 million, which is five times what they're paying Suzuki, producing a little bit less, is going to be wanting a lot more on his next deal. So are you prepared to pay that kind of cash? And Treg, you mentioned it. Why are you going to trade a guy like that? It's just for size. Like you mentioned, those three extra inches, if three extra inches meant so much, there'd be a lot of guys at home wondering why they're not getting traded off when their wives and coming home to their wives with someone else. Let's, let's be honest. It, it's not that big of a difference in this case. Now with Cotton Yemi, we're, it starts to get to be a little bit of a different story because the two players are similar in style. Cotton Yemi's already 6'2", 205. In two more years, where is he going to be? Is he going to be about what Dubois is? Maybe. Is, is Dubois better than Cotton Yemi is right now? 100% without a doubt. But cap-wise, again, we're talking about two years down the line, Kotniemi's uh, looking at his bridge deal this summer. How much is he going to be asking for? Not $5 million. Be a, what, maybe two, two and a half, three? I don't know what kind of a season he has. Let's say it's $3 million. Just spitballing, right? So you now have a 1C making on an entry-level deal. So like a million bucks. You have a two C making 3 million bucks. So between the two, you've got $4 million in your, in your top six. And you're, that's less than what you're paying for Dubois. So that, that does factor into this. This has to factor in because it's a flat cap. So if, uh, not to mention the money going out the other way, who are you going to give up? Like you're just going to throw eh, Byron. Does Columbus want Byron? Probably not. Dano, we'll throw Dano. Why? If would you're they giving Dano, you're not giving one of the young center. But it, 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 why would Columbus want Dano, who's a free who can walk away at the end of the season? Exactly. So it'd have to be a sign and trade. Yeah. And then, yeah, sure. And then you have Suzuki, Dubois, Kotniemi going down your middle. I mean, Great. holy crap. But in two years' time, Suzuki and Dubois both need contracts. Can you afford that with everybody else? Probably not. So th- I mean, these are these are things that have to happen. And of course, coming from the United States to Canada, you must quarantine for 14 days. This isn't like the NHL camps where they had they were given a, a leeway of seven days with four tests. That uh, that waiver is now done. The NHL doesn't have a waiver to do that anymore because now the teams are traveling. They're they're going between cities 
they were given that waiver because when they were going to one location, they stayed in that one location and they were staying within their own team bubble. Now that waiver is done. You're doing your 14 days. It does not matter. So you're going to, you're going to miss out on a bunch of games. So the, the, uh, the Canadians have a window after this road trip where they're going to be off for about five days. So if this trade were ever to happen, it would have to happen before one of those by weeks but that still leaves about 11 days where he's unavailable so now you're out say let's let's say cotton yemi and whoever else byron caulfield the first whatever whatever they put in so you you're out two roster players you don't have dubois for about five maybe six games can the canadians make do for that long you also have to think about two Dubois is a $5 million cap hit. Yeah. Say you get rid of Suzuki and Byron. You're still going to have a hard time. Oh, no, I guess you could still bring in Perry to fix for Byron because of the Suzuki's gone. But actually, no, you can't. You still won't be able to bring a taxi squad guy in because you right. don't have any cap space. That's so right. Mete is going to have to play the wing. <laughs> right? Until, he, like, say the trade happened tomorrow. They'll miss the three games in Vancouver or Edmund, all the games. You'll miss all five games on the on this road trip. So there's seven nights there, right? And then then that, you got five nights off. Then they got five nights off. So now you're up to 11, 12. Yeah. You still got to wait two days before he gets there. So then you're missing another game. Two That's games. Like, oh, are they back-to-back when they get back? Back-to-back when they get there's back. There's seven games that he just missed. Yeah. And you didn't have Byron and Cotton Yemi. So you had Jake Evans playing on the third uh, third unit with Byron playing on the fourth and Mete playing left wing, right wing? Paling. Paling. Oh, yeah, I forgot Paling was there. You could have Paling playing the wing, yeah. Get, yeah no, because you'd have to take him off the taxi squad. But after would... seven days of leaving guys, uh, yeah, blah, 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 yeah. they pick up some. But that's the thing. They're so hard up against the cap. Columbus is going to have to eat some cap yeah. to make it work. Would you? You're giving. You're trading away your top centerman, 22 year old top center. I, even though Tortorella is almost literally throwing him under the bus in every public comment, like it's it is bad. It is well, toxic pissed. at this point. He's pissed because he got a 22 year old center that he developed for the last three oh, years. That's to right. Become number one center, and now all of a sudden he's turning around and saying, "Well, I don't want to be here anymore." Yeah. And Tortorella saying, "Well, Tortorella's basically saying, fuck you then.'" Go fuck yourself. Essentially. We put all this time and effort into you and you're just going to turn around and do that? Go fuck yourself. I don't blame Torts. And that's another thing you got to consider. You're getting a 22-year-old who's always already whining about where he's playing. So he, how high is his value at this point? Is his value top dollar now? He's demanding the trade. He wants out. And and when he gets to Montreal, what? Is he, oh, I don't like it here either. I The poutine sucks here, but since the last time I've been here, I don't want to be here no more. The fans are mean to me. Yeah. Oh, I didn't score in two games. Now the fans are booing me. I don't want to be so this is This is going to be something that's going to be a developing situation. This is going to be yep. one of the stories that everyone's going to be following over the next little while. It's the same thing as Lion A and how he's playing, and he's looked very good so far. Um, it's going to get to the point where if, it continues to be in the news and be, and it starts becoming a distraction for Columbus. That's when you're going to see movement. See with the line, it's a bit different because 
it's his usage that he's upset about. He wants to be on the top line with Shifley. He feels he deserves to be on that top line. So he's he's like, well, I, I want I want that position. It's the uh, you know I, I think I'll score more goals there. I'll have more fun there. That's his thing. Dubois, Dubois. just wants Columbus. Yeah. Dubois, yeah, he doesn't want to be in the city. He's yeah. I, I want a bigger stage. And I mean, Columbus is a great city. I don't know if you guys have been. I've been. It's a university town. There is a ton of stuff to do. They've got everything you can possibly want. It is a fun, vibrant town. Um, it's not as big as other places, and it's definitely not as big of a hockey market. Like it's it's a college football town. Let's college football is king. Hockey's one of these niche things. So. I don't know. Does he want superstar treatment when he's walking through the city? Is that what he's looking for? I don't know, but he's French Canadian. And once he, if he wants to go to Montreal, he should call up Jonathan Drouin and say, Hey, and he'll draw Drouin. will tell him they'll love you and they'll hate you all at the same time. That's just the way it's going to go. Yeah. I mean, it's and if you think about it, I, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but you take Panarin. The only year he scored over 50 points was the, the year he centered Panarin. And he had 62. Other than that, he's never scored more than 50 points. So where is his value at anyway? Like everyone thinks he's this elite superstar who deserves a first pick or top prospect and another top player. And I don't, I don't personally think he's worth that worth that much. I don't think they're going to get the, uh, the value that they, if he were to go to a Canadian team, he wouldn't get the value that people think he should because of the quarantine 14 day, time frame and the fact that he demanded the trade i believe columbus's best bet is to look south of the border and look for an option down there maybe the ducks maybe the kings yeah i can't i i know the rangers are the big stage and and all that but do you really want to give them to the rangers they're going to be division rivals again next year. I don't year. think they want to give them to the Rangers. I'm just saying they may get a good deal out of the Rangers to get him. They better give give them the absolute top dollar deal saying, holy shit, I need to take this trade. Otherwise, I would send them out West. Two deals being equivalent, go go West. I mean, when it comes to Dubois, the team has control because yeah. they own his rights and they can trade him who he wants to. I know he yeah. wants, he's telling them where he wants to go, but that doesn't mean that's where they're going to put him. Exactly. Um, but when it comes to trading, I don't think that Columbus has the upper hand when it comes to the trade forum. They can ask for whatever they want. And I mean, just because he wants to go to Montreal also doesn't mean Bergevin's on the phone trying to make a deal. Even though Bergevin's loved this guy, they, they were ready to make a big trade on the draft day to get him to move up to three. To, to, to get him three or four they're hoping he'd be at four they're yeah. trying to move up to four but or five four or Berge, five bergevin's fixed fixed his uh his center issue he had a center issue then he yeah. doesn't have one now so it's it's more of a want than a need like you wrote in your article so yeah. and i bergevin's not that dumb of a gm as much as people want to say he is He's going to call and say, what do you want for him? They're going to say Suzuki. And he's probably going to go, no, I'm good. Thanks. Maybe he'll counter. He'll probably counter and say, of course, of course. Maybe say Cotton Yemi. You wouldn't be doing your job if you didn't. That's right. Right. But uh, But he's he's not, he's not in a, he's not 
behind the eight ball to make right. this trade. Yeah. He's like, I'm willing to give you this. Give me a call if you agree to it. Yeah. Basically. This is know. what I can afford. This is what I'm comfortable with. If you like it, great. If not, thanks for the, thanks for the call. Yeah. So I think we can end the show there. Well, I think we've covered quite a bit. Um, any, any final thoughts, Matt? Oh, I'm just hoping that uh, you guys can enjoy the game and uh, hopefully there'll be, hopefully there'll be, honestly, if I can catch some of it, obviously I'll be on Twitter as you guys know. Um, and I'm just, I'm just hoping for a good road trip and uh, you know, uh, more of, more of the same, more of what we saw in, uh, in their opening game, just minus all the penalties. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say, don't start worrying or panicking about this team. It's a good team. They look good against Toronto. May take them a game or two to get their maybe three to get everything together. We've mentioned many times there was no preseason games or anything like that. So just give them a couple games. Uh, if they come back off this road trip and they're 0-4-1, well, then we should be looking at a coaching change and a few other things to going on before we uh, move on. But I don't see that happening. Uh, it's too good of a team to to go that way. They're fast. Just relax. Everyone just relax. I wonder if Sherrod Gallant's in the taxi squad yet. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the he's on the Uber. Yeah, to throw that in there. <laughs> um, I'll just uh, I'll finish it off with saying um, check out our other uh, other partner, No Name Hockey. They've got some great equipment. Uh, you can order up custom sticks. Uh, there's, they're super affordable. When you compare them to pro stock sticks and custom sticks, you can buy uh, online or at the stores. You're paying about half the price. So check them out. They got some great gear, some good equipment. If you got teams, if you got a team that needs some equipment, they will hook you up. So check them out. Um, and I'm going to finish it off with saying thanks for listening. We appreciate all the support you guys have been giving us. Uh, the YouTube channel just started and we're picking up subscribers. There's not a lot yet, but uh, the more we put Matt on, the more followers we get. So uh, just keep an eye out. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff coming out through, uh, through this show on the, on the YouTube. Uh, our, our articles are going to be coming out. Treg and I over at uh, the Hockey Writers. Matt, you might be coming up with something soon. Uh, and I'm going to be putting something out on recruits very soon. So just keep following, keep listening, uh, keep chirping us. We appreciate all the interaction we have with our listeners and our friends. Um, so thank you. And remember, if you were talking about it, so are we. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you, No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro stock quality stick that you can afford. 
The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the no-names and players currently making a name. We here at Habs Unfiltered would like to thank you, all of our listeners, old and new, for tuning in. Please, click subscribe so that you never miss an episode of all of our shenanigans. And remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. Did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.